BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. We would encourage them uh, to get help, and, and this was their last chance. Look, you can turn around to the back of the room. Uh, and, and you can seek these services. And, and from there, it, it's basically tell everybody in your clique that, that if anyone commits a triggering offense, the whole, the whole group um, gets traded like a baseball card. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We've got a special guest today. Uh, North Carolina Supreme Court Justice, Associate Justice, Phil Berger. Hello, thank you for joining. Hey, Dan, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, how did we meet? Well, uh, so or how, did, how did you? How did you? How did we come into contact? I don't. I don't really remember. Yeah, I was. I was listening to Drinking Bros, and you were interviewing Clark Pennington with the Independence Fund, and Clark was talking about a pre-sentencing program mm-hmm. that uh, that he does with the Independence Fund. And uh, sort of an idea for a program in North Carolina came to mind, and I uh, messaged you on social media, mm-hmm. said, hey, Dan, what do, you, what do you think about this? Is this worth pursuing? And then you connected me with Sarah and mm-hmm. the Independence Fund and uh, sort of went from there. And uh, it's been just a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think what you're doing is important. What uh, uh, Clark has done is important. And um it's gone on in other places before to, to a different degree. We talked about it a little bit last night, but the one that existed prior was called critical time intervention. And there was a 32 state grant, I think, but it was a limited scope program. And essentially it was mostly one, one of my buddies, Bryce did it up in Virginia, but it was, it was a pretty, pretty limited scope where one person would go into a couple of departments in an area and try to train cops on how to deal with veterans, right? Um, <clears throat> now, you brought this, you guys collectively have brought this to a whole new level. We'll get into that in a bit. But first, let's get into uh, to you. So it's Phil Berger Jr. Tell me about Phil Berger Sr. Uh, so my, my father um, went to law school mm. uh, late in life. I was uh, third grade. He was a, a press board operator at the local um, pulp mill 
factory in a really small town in North Carolina. Uh, and he's standing at the end of uh, uh, the press board uh, machine one day, and they're just coming out one after the other. And uh, so, so my grandparents, uh, his, his family, my mother's family, uh, were all mill town, right? So everyone worked in the mill. And he's standing at the end of this press board uh, machine one day, and he says, I, I want something different. Mm. So he uh, enrolled in community college, worked his way uh, through college with two small kids, took him nine years to get his undergrad degree. And, and then during that process, he d decided he wanted to go to law school. Uh, goes to law school and um, uh, ends up in <laughs> small town in North Carolina, um, has a very successful law practice and uh, becomes a leader in the community. Uh, ultimately runs for the North Carolina Senate and is successful in his bid. Uh, and he's been in the Senate now uh, for a number of years. He currently serves as the president pro tem mm. uh, of the North Carolina Senate. What's I don't know what that means. So so interestingly, in, in North Carolina, so it, like, is he a senator with an assigned district or he's somebody outside of that? Or how does that work? Yeah. So in North Carolina, senators mm. are elected by district. Yeah. So so the the small community that we lived in elected him to go to the Senate. But in that capacity, he became minority leader. Uh, and then when uh, uh, the Republicans took over the North Carolina General, General Assembly, uh, he was elected what's called uh, president pro tem mm. of the Senate. A number of years ago, there was some uh, legislation that stripped a lot of the leadership power from the lieutenant governor and, and gave it to the president pro tem. So uh, in, in essence, the, the, that position is the leader of the Senate. Okay, interesting. Um, <clears throat> and what, what, what impact did that have on you, I guess, seeing your dad go from essentially uh, – I don't know how much money that person makes, but that seems like lower middle class or middle class to somebody who's a professional, like a white collar professional, right? Well, and and so in North Carolina, the the legislature is um, part time, mm -hmm. so he makes thirteen thousand dollars a year, right? Uh, in, but but is capacity. an attorney probably a little more than that? Uh, Hopefully, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so you know, in small town uh, law practice is. is is not very lucrative, but you can do a lot of positive things in terms of leadership and you can have a nice life. Uh, and, and then he uh, sort of transitions in, into this role where uh, he's gone uh, a great deal of time uh, serving the public. Mm -hmm. and, and we were in, in the same law practice at that point and uh, worked together for a few months and, and then uh, all of a sudden he's gone. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but it was uh, uh, very impactful uh, for for me in a number of ways. One, I had to uh, take care of the business with uh, um, very little experience in the legal practice and uh, in, in terms of service to the community, just an excellent example. Mm, yeah. And then, so then you get into, um, you get into law yourself at some point. Was that right out of high school? You, you had decided that you were going to do that or before that maybe? No, my, my goal all along was to be a, a coach and a teacher. Mm. Uh, I wanted to be a high school teacher. Okay. And uh, somewhere in um, undergraduate schooling, I, I decided I wanted to take a different path mm. and go to law school. And uh, so once I graduated from UNC Wilmington, I, I took a couple of years off and, and started uh, law school. Um, never never really intended to do that, but, but just sort of at, at, at some point it that career path uh, flipped. And what do you, what do you think the impetus for that was? Um, 
so I look up to my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of that is um, uh, sort of following in his footsteps. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, I, I guess. But <clears throat> but there there is a, a great deal of um, um, interest in, in helping serve the community. Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, for men, it's like you're either trying to <clears throat> live up to the image you have of your dad, or you're trying if if you had a bad relationship like I did, you're trying to uh, repair the damage you think he did to people. I think that's a pretty common trajectory for folks. Um, and it makes sense, right? I mean, that's the thing that you're most closely, <clears throat> I guess, familiar with as you're growing up, as your brain is developed, like your brain develops from 16 to 25 in the, in the, in a major way. So, um, <clears throat> tell me about your private law experience. How, how was that? Um, very interesting. Mm. I, 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 did you have a particular focus? Was it criminal defense or, or something else? What, what did you do exactly? So, so in a small town, you sort of have to be a, a general practitioner sure. and, uh, did a lot of criminal work, a great deal of, uh, domestic work, uh, with custody cases mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. At some point I, I got the contract for the department of social services or with the department of social, social services where I would do their abuse, neglect, and dependency cases mm-hmm. for uh, parents who had abused children, and then the government has to step in and e- either correct path or uh, remove the children from the home. And uh, that, that was um, uh, interesting and, uh, I, I think, work that was helpful to the community. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a weird job to be in, to be honest, because you're like, I mean, I know those people care about what they're doing. Like old, when I thought of school teachers in the eighties, not, not th- these days, it seemed there's a lot of activist people there, but a school teacher in the eighties, it's like, that's a thankless and not very well-paying job. So you're doing it for a reason. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then in, in 2006, you get elected DA and, and what made you decide to, to run for district attorney? Well, it was the work with the Department of Social Services uh, that, that really did it. Uh, there, there was a disconnect between the cases that were coming through my courtroom and the cases that were being prosecuted in criminal court. And what do you we, think it was? Um, lack of focus, mm. right? We, we want to focus on other areas as opposed to children. And okay. um, uh, we had this particular case that, that was uh, troubling where a quadriplegic uh, youth had been uh, abused by mm. an in-home aide. And there was um, no apparent desire to, to prosecute that case. Um, and, and so a couple of things like that take place in, in front of you. And uh, the idea at that point is, well, some, somebody's got to do something. I know you talk about this mm-hmm. a, a lot. Somebody's got to do something. And, uh, and, and I was somebody. Right. So uh, step up and uh, try to make a change. And, you know, we were successful. We, we beat um, a 13-year incumbent uh, who was very popular. Uh, but people... Uh, when, when they, a lot of, a lot of secrets sort of in the courthouse, right? Most people don't pay attention to it. Most people don't have daily interaction with the courthouse. Um, but when people understand sort of, uh, the, the crevices that some of these cases can fall in, uh, it, it, it becomes more meaningful to them. Yeah. And even when the, even when they do get scooped up and prosecuted, the sentencing for sexual assault, particularly against children is comically low. I mean, I don't know. Can, can, do you have any kind of insight on why? I, I believe the average sentence for a sexual assault against a minor is 18 months, right? 
Now, you, I'm sure you can guess what my sentence would be for that, but you're a, you're an actual legal professional, so I don't under. I, that's one thing I don't understand. I frank, I, I just can't wrap my mind around. I thought that no matter what people's politics were, that the protection of kids would be something that everybody could get on board with, but that seems to not be the case, and it isn't a matter of right versus left always. It's just it's a very bizarre situation, and I don't understand it. Well, and 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 so I. I think there are a number of factors. Uh, one is, what, again, what's your focus, right? And if your focus is on protecting kids, then, mm-hmm. then certainly I think that um, uh, you, you get on the higher end of that average. Uh, but there, there are also a number of ways that those cases can be disposed of, right? So you could plead someone to an indecent liberties charge, mm-hmm. which gets probation. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, and, 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 you know, there, there are any number of excuses you can make not to prosecute a case. Um, so, so you have witnesses recant, you have, um, uh, sort of discrepancies in testimony, those sorts of things. And it's difficult with kids because, um, uh, maybe they, they sometimes repeat things that they hear. Uh, so there are a lot of questions that, that come into these cases that, that may be absent physical mm. evidence. Um, um, but you know, if you have well-trained people who are focused on children, uh, then I think those results are a little bit better. Sure. And the recidivism rate for crime of any type for uh, someone who commits sexual assault is 40%. It's pretty high, but consistent with other career criminals, right? Um, uh, and, and I don't know that soft punishment is really going to change that. Although, you know, I don't know what your experience is in, in research, but <clears throat> as far as the death penalty goes, it's not a deterrent. Like we, the research shows that it's not a deterrent for violent crime. I don't, for whatever reason, people just, I guess if you're going to be on the street shooting people in the face, you don't care about getting electrocuted to death. You know what I mean? So, but I do think that on the lower end or the research shows on the lower end that, uh, not just the length of punishment, but consistent convictions are a deterrent. Um, so I always, I've always been kind of curious. I'm glad that people like you got it. Cause there's a lot of DAs across the country that, uh, <clears throat> are funded by George Soros, right? That's not a conspiracy theory. There's 275 DA and judge races he's financed in the last five years. That's a fact. Nick, look it up. I don't know why we're allowing that, but here we are. So speaking of that, you uh, served two terms, I believe, as DA. Is that right? I did. Yes, sir. Okay. And then uh, how does that work? Is it like... You get elected to Congress and you uh, like, I want to get on these committees and make this specific difference in my community. Did you have something like that going into your time at DA? Well, yeah. And, and the focus was I want to change uh, the way we prosecute um, uh, sexual assaults and, mm. and crimes against children, one. Um, and, and, and I think we did that. We were able to build what's called a child advocacy center mm. uh, in uh, our, our small community, which had not been done, which improves the ability to prosecute cases, helps law enforcement uh, uh, understand sort of questions that need to be asked, what procedures need to be followed. Uh, We incorporate nurses uh, who are are specially trained in sexual assault kits and those sorts of things. So so that was the one thing that I really wanted to make sure that that we did. And the other thing was to try cases. Mm -hmm. You know, I think think there's a a need to plead a number of cases. The system Mm -hmm. just can't try 100% 100% of the cases. But but you also have to, at some point, hold people's feet to the fire, mm. right? We are not going to plead this case out. We're going to take you in front of a jury, and we're going to let let the jury determine what your punishment is or, or what your conviction is. 
as opposed to the DA saying, we're going to consolidate all these cases and give you probation. Mm. So, so we were able to do, I think, um, uh, very good work on both those fronts. We went from uh, probably somewhere around 2 or 3% of the cases that got tried prior to me mm. up to about 7 or 8%, which mm. doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a huge change yeah. when you're talking about 1,500, 2,000 cases going through sure. uh, as felonies every year. And it wasn't just about prosecution for you either. You, you were the chair of uh, Project Safe in Rockingham County. Tell me about that. Yeah, that, so that was a fun partnership with the U.S. Attorney's mm. Office. Um, so, so it, it sounds, um, and, and when, when it was first pitched to me, uh, it sounds a little bit like hug-a-thug-type uh, policies. Yeah. But, but it, it's really not. What we did was uh, we brought in um, uh, gang leaders from, uh, most people don't think there are gangs in these small communities, but, but we had identified <clears throat> several of the leaders of the local gangs and we brought them into what's called a call-in. Now, all of these individuals have um, uh, probation hanging over their head, child support hanging over their head. And we sit them in the middle of this room, and you have law enforcement officers, DEA, ATF, uh, myself, and the, the local uh, assistant U.S. attorney. And we tell them, look, you have a choice. And if you choose to commit what's called a triggering offense, right? Mm -hmm. If you use a, uh, a firearm in uh, the commission of a crime, every one of the people sitting, sitting around this table is coming after you. And um, I, I, this doesn't sound uh, very good now, but the, the way uh, the AUSA and I would tell people is, look, it, you guys are like baseball cards, mm. right? It, it is who can get the biggest sentence off mm. of this guy. And yeah. we met frequently in an effort to reduce gang uh, violence and gang crime in Rockingham County. And one of the really things I'm proud about with that program, we had 212 individuals that were ultimately called in. We only had three who recidivated. So, so out, out of, uh, and, and that program went on uh, probably about four years. You know, I, I don't know if it's still taking place now, but uh, it, it was one that was very successful. Well, aside from just, you know, general stick and carrot, what, what was the program like? I mean, walk me through. I'm, I'm a gang leader that sells drugs and shoots people or whatever the fuck. Uh, tell, like, how do you, how, what, it, it's, it certainly isn't 200 dudes in a room and you have a one-time meeting and say that and then everything works out, right? So tell, explain that process to me. Right. So everyone that we called in was on probation. Right. right? So, they're, so they're, they're forced to come in a certain amount of time anyways to do drug tests and stuff like that. Right. Okay. And, and so, so the, we basically had the, the equivalent uh, of, of a lottery. Mm. Okay. Who, who are the first groups that, that get called in? Uh, and, and then in addition to um, the law enforcement officers who have a role uh, in uh, sort of the, the stick, we have a number of uh, service providers who, who came in. And if, if you needed a GED, if you needed help uh, getting squared away on your child support, those sorts of uh, programs, mental health counseling, drug mm -hmm. testing, drug counseling, uh, we would encourage them uh, to get help. And, and this was their last chance. Look, you can turn around to the back of the room uh, and, and you can seek these services. Um, so, so you have the call-in procedure. Probation requires you to be there. Mm. Uh, and, and from there, it, it's basically tell everybody in your clique that, that if anyone commits a triggering offense, the whole, the whole group um, gets traded like a baseball card. That's <clears throat> um, interesting. Uh, so you know there's been I, – I don't know exactly, and I don't want to drag you into this conversation too, too far, but there's been a conversation between um, 
in my opinion, between the federal government and the Sinaloa cartel because they're enforcing a no fentanyl policy. That's having my, my people at Border Patrol are telling me that uh, Chapito's, uh, Chapo's three sons are executing anybody who sells fentanyl at the border now. Um, it feels like that, that's a very extreme example, but it feels like, and I have no evidence of this specifically, but it feels like the federal government probably leveraged that into action. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. Like the cartels wouldn't have done it. Uh, and I wonder, so if people get, <clears throat> they're, the point of the criminal justice system isn't to imprison people, right? It's to keep the country safe, frankly. Like you have to take it down to the lowest common denominator. What exactly is the purpose of all of this? Sometimes it means putting people in prison. Um, but sometimes you make deals with people to try to get them. I mean, it's almost like fishing. You know, you're putting some bait out there and like, hey, man, life doesn't have to be like this for you. Some people grow up in a situation where they think that's the only option. Uh, I'm sure El Chapo's sons didn't see, like they weren't going to go become pediatricians, right? They were going to be in the cartel. But this is a different situation because we can actually offer some of these people help. People get stuck in this weird cycle from a very young age and then make some mistakes and now they're on paper and the rest of their life is defined by something they did at 17, 18, or 19 years old, right? Um, they feel like they can't get a job anymore, which is sometimes true. They feel like the like banks treat you differently. Everybody treats you differently, right? Um, do you think there's any utility in offering to expunge records in exchange for leaving the criminal lifestyle? I mean, expunge them off the record entirely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, th I think all of us have made really stupid decisions. And un unfortunately... What is it there but for the grace of God go I, right? right. Absolutely. Could have been me. Yeah. Yeah. And and so so part part of being a prosecutor, right? You you the only person in a courtroom charged with doing justice is the prosecutor, right? The defense attorney, uh, whether it's or the attorney, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case, uh, is charged with zealously representing their client, right? Getting the best mm -hmm. result that they can. Sure. The judge is supposed to apply the law fairly and evenly to everyone uh, who who, um, who comes before him or her. Mm -hmm. But the prosecutor's duty, at, at least as defined in, in North Carolina, is specifically to do justice. And, and like you said, some of that is certainly sending people to prison for a mm. long time. Uh, but there's also the need for deferral programs for, for knuckleheads mm. uh, who make really dumb decisions. And, and we don't want to saddle them for the rest of their lives with uh, a felony conviction or even sometimes a misdemeanor conviction that, like you said, will prevent them from getting a job, prevent them from being productive members of society, which then leads to more criminal activity. So I'm a huge proponent of expungement and deferral programs. Yeah. So you, there's a, is this a guy who's fucked in the head or is it somebody who made a mistake? You can't treat those two people the same way. Because if you do treat them the same way, you will get the same result, which is an institutionalized career criminal, frankly. I mean, most of the time, that's what you're going to get for a variety of reasons. One, if somebody gets a long prison sentence in a way that could have been deferred, then they get legitimately institutionalized into the prison lifestyle. A lot of people can't convert back out of that, almost the same as a veteran coming back home. They just can't get their mind around having all this. Result. Like I spent three years having everything done for me and told to me, right? And then add on top of that a heightened sense of stress and awareness. It sounds a lot like a deployment, frankly, right? And then you go back home, uh, not, not to compare the two directly, but then you go back home and you're like, all right, now what? And it's, this, it's the, 
the poison of of man especially not 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 I don't I don't know how it affects women but I know how it affects men to be on a rigid schedule and then be back home and have nothing to do right idle hands or the devil's plaything and it and it fucks with your head and you add on top of that all these you know the negative effects of having been in, incarcerated if you treat those if you treat the psychopath that way fine right let's keep him like i i want people to be as free as possible but i don't want uh, as joe biden used to say but when he was i guess somewhat rational in the early 90s um <clears throat> i don't want this guy out on the street cracking my wife over the head with a lead pipe sorry that's just not i'm not going to bargain with you over that if you're a psychopath you're going away forever um but some dumb kid who does something dumb for a ver for, for so many reasons one for his sake two for our collective sake because that guy costs what 50 grand a year to keep in prison something like that that's more money the taxpayers are spending it's like there's a lot of reasons to aside from just ethical reasons a do a responsibility to mentor people and help them there's a lot of reasons to not just throw that dude away right so these are these are good programs safe project safe is a good program and you had that much experience in four years you said 212 people right and well, then so three were recidivists we, we only had we only had three recidivists and and then we shifted focus to uh violent felons so we started with gang members and then we went to to violent felons and, and again that you, you can look at it and you can say this is uh, uh, sort of a, a soft on crime program, mm. but the results speak for themselves. These people who uh, are, are identified as violent people who engage in violent behavior, mm. um, stop doing it. This episode is brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros Ghostbed. It's the best bed in the world. It's the most comfortable sheets, pillows, the whole thing. I've got them all, man. And, you know, they wanted to extend their best possible offer to Drink It Bros. They've been with us for a very long time. So this is the email they sent us. We want Drink It Bros to get the best offer. So I updated the code for 50% site-wide. That's 50% site-wide. Use the code Drinkin' Bros. Drinkin' Bros with no G. For 50% off site-wide, everything that you buy on this site is going to be 50% off. Again, they get the best pillows sheets mattresses they get the mattress protector uh if you're if you're sloppy and spill things and you don't want to jack up your mattress they have pretty much everything you need they've got weighted blankets now they've got the adjustable base which we really like i've got one in my home so go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros use the code drink it bros for 50 percent off site-wide and don't forget about their pay-as-you-go plan if you're with approved credit you're going to be able to pay this thing off over the course of three to five years for 25 to 35 bucks a month. It's nothing. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink bros today and use the code drink bros for 50% off. This episode is also brought to you by blackriflecoffee.com. The best coffee in the world. As a matter of fact, they won both the gold and bronze medal at the Golden Bean Awards this year for their exclusive coffee club entries in the elite category. So the best coffee on earth literally was Circus Bear by Black Rifle, one of their ECS. So I recommend that you go sign up for the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Use the code CITIZEN. You're going to get those points off. 
and uh, you know you get all the benefits from being in the coffee club. You get the free shipping. You get access to all the partner deals. Uh, uh, you get access to the exclusive coffee club. You get access to any new products that come out before anybody else does. You know, it's a very large club that they have over there. And the coffees are premium. Every single one of them is good. Uh, you, you're going to get experience for you. You can do just the plain coffee club. And if you want your two bags of, of uh, espresso or your two bags of silencer smooth or whatever it is you drink, you can get those two bags or one bag or whatever you want every month or and or rather you can use the ECS, the exclusive coffee club and get access to some of the most premium coffees on the planet and kind of learn what it is that you like. You know what I mean? So then you can order those premium coffees from black rifle as well. So, and we all know they got the best branding, the best merch and their buddies, you know, we're all friends here. Uh, we love black rifles. So go to blackriflecoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club or buy something, do whatever you want. Um, use the code citizen. You're going to get those points off. This episode is brought to you by first form dot com forward slash citizen free shipping on all orders over 75 dollars when you use the link and you're not going to spend less than 75 bucks i mean they get the best products in the world especially the optigreens you know me i don't eat vegetables um because they're fucking pointless so i supplement with optigreens 50 from first form it is precisely formulated green superfood powder meant for overall immune system support and digestive health. It's really good, aside from just getting the daily greens into your body that you need, and make sure, by the way, you're taking this with MCT because you have to take anything like this with MCT. 80% of your immune system is located in your gut and your digestive tract, right? So healthy digestion is essential for overall health and wellness, not to mention that most of your serotonin, I think 96% of your serotonin or 94% is made in your gut as well. So you're gonna be in a better mood. You're gonna feel better physically, and you're going to feel better mentally if you are taking these greens. OptiGreen 50 has 50 chosen ingredients, uh, effectively dosed. It's not necessarily how many ingredients there are, though, but it's, a, it's about the right amount of each. Taste and texture, no, like no other product in the market. It's not gritty. It doesn't have a weird flavor. It's got sweet berry flavors, actually. 100% uh, of the greens are all grown and manufactured inside the United States, and they are bioavailable. Now, they've got other products as well. They've got the Microfactor which you see behind me on every show, uh, and I take them every day. You know, you got essential fatty acids, CoQ10. You got all the stuff you need in one little packet for your daily vitamin pack. And you mix that. You, you make yourself uh, uh, OptiGreens 50 shake, and you, and you take those pills with it, and you're going to improve your life precipitously. You're going to feel better. You're going to look better, so on and so forth. So go to firstform.com. That's 1-S-T-P-H-O-R-M dot com forward slash citizen use the code you're gonna get free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks and the, so the success rate when you started targeting violent felons was also pretty high yeah and, and i don't remember the statistics mm. on that <clears throat> what do you what do you think it is going on you you were face to face with some of these people right what, what did that look like what did the trajectory look like i mean it's I, i've seen people who were institutionalized before and you're almost deprogramming them at that point. It's 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 largely fear based, you know what I mean? Um, and that's a hard thing to deprogram because this person thinks that they're fighting to survive. They think they're fighting for their life, like a animal with its back in the corner. And we think of oh, this guy just taking the easy way out and selling drugs so he can make money. That's not really what it is, you know. Most of the time, there are people like that certainly, um, but that's usually not what from from the streets and the inner cities. That's not what it is. It, people think they're fighting for their existence. You know what I mean? And you can't, 
negotiate reasonably with somebody like that unless you have a carrot or, or a pathway to somewhere other than where they are, right? Yeah, and, and so with, with us, one of the main talking points, one of the main things that we tried to impress upon uh, the individuals who came before us uh, was, look, it, do you want to spend the next Christmas and the next Christmas and the next holiday or mm. birthday away from your child, mm. away from your family? You've already done it right? Think about how you felt then. And, and so that, that's a very strong motivator uh, for anybody, right? Uh, you know, do you, do you want to spend time away from your family or do you want to uh, be, be back in society? So that, that's one of the, um, at, at least when, when I was involved in it, to me, that was one of the more powerful mm. uh, messages. There was a video that we played uh, with all these hardcore gangbangers who had gotten jobs, um, uh, and, and one of the, the themes throughout was, look, I get, I get to be with my child now. Um, so, so very um, at, at a base level, that, that is applicable to all of us. Yeah, and I think um, educating the public on this a bit more as well. It's hard to have empathy when somebody's stealing your shit, right? Um, so, and I understand that that's a reasonable way to feel. Um, but this trope of the the career criminal that's a you know a violent sociopath who doesn't who's like goes home and beats their wife and kids every night it's not really accurate you know what i mean it just doesn't they, certainly those things happen but it's the reality is that even criminals love their children right it's like a that is a human being so how do i repair this human being stop thinking about it in all these other terms because i think it doesn't really help that much um <clears throat> and this um your time at da was uh successful right and now you run for uh supreme court in north carolina what that's in 2016 uh that was 2020 so 2020 have, okay um, uh, how was that i mean that's a different animal right is that is that a statewide election it is okay in, in north carolina a partisan statewide election um and and so if i could go back sure yeah, uh, yeah. Ju just for a second i was elected to the court of appeals in 2016 mm, okay that's the court of appeals i see and um, did not want to run, um, but I, I received several phone calls that encouraged me to run. And, and, and it's um, interesting how some people can see things in you that you really don't see mm. in, in yourself. Uh, never really wanted to be a judge. Um, I, I was, I'm more of a fighter than um, sort of an umpire. Mm. Uh, I've, I enjoyed playing and not uh, uh, being on the sidelines, so to speak. But um, I was encouraged to run for that seat and uh, was successful then and the same sort of thing uh, happened in 2020 where uh, a vacancy takes place and people start to call you and say hey you, you should really look at this and um so so we did and, and running for judge is is a, a bit different you cannot stake yourself out on issues mm. can't tell people what you think so every candidate just about sounds uh something to the effect of I i'm going to be fair uh, i'm going to follow the law and I am a constitutionalist. Mm. Doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. That's sure. that is the sort of standard uh, line from everybody who runs for judge. Mm. And um, it, it, there's not the opportunity to raise a great deal of money. Most people don't care about judicial races. Uh, there is uh, difficulty getting your your message to the extent there is one uh, across. So it, it, we we are really tied to uh, what takes place at the top of the ticket. Yeah, I mean, it's so you you won as a Republican in a year when a Republican didn't win the state. 
Right. Uh, I don't think Trump won North Carolina in 2020. No, he, he, um, uh, he, he did. He did. Okay. Yeah. But, but, um, governor and Gov- attorney oh, that's general. Right, governor. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. I knew I had something right there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it seems like the, the judge races that we're familiar with are usually SCOTUS, right? And it's been a bit of a shit show in the past couple of years, very partisan, unnecessarily so. There's the, like everybody's got their litmus test these days for, for it, but the only one should be constitutionality. That should be the only litmus test. And uh, you've actually had your, uh, I guess, let, let's call it, uh, 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 hmm. You've had your constitutional bona fides tested before because you had to rule in a case against your dad, right? Technically speaking, but that happens, right? There's always court cases like that that happen where, you know. Uh, and I think, can you walk me through that? Are you comfortable talking about that? Because it's I, I read some news articles about it. It was like, oh, he's got to recuse himself. It's like, well, why? It's still a constitutional issue, right? Right. So, um, what? We have a, a group that sort of supervises uh, mm. judicial ethics, right? And but what's the name of the group? The Judicial Standards Commission in and, North Carolina. And, okay. And who, who do they report to? Uh, to the Supreme Court. Okay. So, so but, you know, at, at, as things come up, mm. uh, we have the ability to, to ask sure. questions. And, and it's, that, like, it's like the Senate Rules Committee, right? I mean, you just have a separate group of people. It's not technically they're still senators, but it's a separate group of people like, okay, here are the – or the who, – who is it? There's a person in the Senate that has, um, he's like the expert on the rules of the Senate. Uh, What's the par- the parliamentarian. Parliamentarian, that's yeah. it. Yeah, God, I can never remember that word. Yeah, anyways, keep going. Yeah, so so we have the ability to, to ask questions, mm-hmm. right? And and during that process, um, you know, we the difference be- between the judicial standards mm-hmm. and uh, the parliamentarian, all of this is confidential, right? So okay. they're, they're basically lawyers for judges. Uh, who say, help me with this ethical question, right? So, so one, of, one of the grounds for recusal in North Carolina is that uh, your family member is a named party in a lawsuit. Okay. That makes sense, right? Yeah. So, so if um, uh, there's a land dispute uh, involving my brother, sure, I yeah, certainly, yeah. You, you certainly wouldn't think you'd get a fair shot mm-hmm. if I were the judge, right? Right. Uh, but the case law in North Carolina says somebody who's sued in their official capacity, mm. right, is not the individual, right? So because it's about the office and not the person at that point, right? Right, that makes sense. So, so they're they're te- technically suing the state of North Carolina uh, and the president of the president pro tem of the Senate, the Speaker of the House of Representatives in their official capacity. Um, so a number of recusal motions were were filed um, because of. Uh, uh, my potential participation in the case, mm-hmm. and um, ultimately there there were sort of a long drawn out process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Supreme Court um, ultimately, because there were a number of questions for a number of justices, mm-hmm. uh, passed a rule that if if the individual justice believes they can be fair, then they can sit on the case. Mm-hmm. Right. So you ask judicial standards, uh, but the ultimate um, uh, decision maker becomes the the justice and, and again to to me that's fairly obvious that just because my father is named mm. if he's sued in his official capacity sure. um that that's not an yeah. issue and it's different than the supreme court too because voters have an opportunity to correct 
what they might think of as a mistake if it should it appear that way, right? Sure. Because you're, there, it's not a lifetime appointment as an appeals judge. Certainly, it's not a lifetime appointment. Right. Uh, what are the are is the North Carolina Supreme Court is that what what are the terms for that or is that a lifetime appointment? No, it's eight years. Eight years. Uh, okay. So so I I think that's good that we have to. Um, uh, basically put our resume in front of the voters. Uh, ultimately, the jury tends to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even on an eight-year term, you see judges who sort of uh, forget what it's like to be in the courtroom. And uh, the, the requirement that you go back uh, to some of those individuals who are involved in the court process, mm-hmm. the public who can ask you questions, um, I, I think that's an important um, – um, we do it a, in a way that is uh, – public transparent mm. and and ultimately the the people get to decide sure well how much different was it being a judge than a da because da you're like reviewing and preparing cases i don't know that you did you litigate as a da or did you have you let your team do that you litigated as yeah, well? i did some okay. um there, there's a hefty administrative uh, sure, burden yeah. but it's a that. it's a this is a completely different job right uh as a judge you're listening a lot more than you're talking at that point so how how what was the transition like for that is there like do they have? Do they give you uh, how to be a judge for dummies or some shit? Like, how do you? How do you? I, I, certainly, you know the law, and you know how to adjudicate cases and stuff like that. You know how to write opinions, certainly. But this is a very different world. These two jobs. So, so we have training for our trial court judges mm-hmm. um, that that is weeks long, and and they have to come back every six months or so. But for an appeals judge in North Carolina, there is zero training. Oh, you, really? You walk in and, and you're given uh, a bunch of cases and, and told, go to work. But I, th- I think, uh, again, a prosecutor's job is to do justice, mm. right? To take in all of the information, all of the facts, and try to come up with a resolution that fits this individual situation. And I think that training uh, is critical to, at least for me, it was critical. You know, I, so over the course of the eight years as a DA, I'd made thousands of decisions mm-hmm. that I had to stand in front of the public and justify yeah. and talk about. Uh, so I, I think for me, um, I, I was I was well prepared to jump in to the role. Now, one of the things that we do that's different, you know, in, in an appellate court, we don't have a jury box, we don't have right. a witness stand, you don't ha- have people yelling objection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the writing aspect was a little more difficult for me. Uh, but but in terms of just base base level um, ability, I was I, I felt very comfortable. Mm. And then then you you know I mean it's it's part of the bureaucratic process no matter where you are I guess. But you learn to depend on your staff who's been around for a little while, people that are in unelected positions that know the rules I guess for lack of a better phrase. Um, so you're in how how long were you in the appeals court? Four years before you ran for judge or four, ran for uh, Supreme Court? Yeah, four years. Um, and what was that like running a statewide campaign? I've, I've worked on statewide campaigns before. It's a, it's a tricky business. So, so it, it, it's, it's interesting because, uh, again, nobody knows who the judges are. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, Unless it's like a friend of yours and you tell everyone, oh, yeah, I'm voting for Phil. Right. That's, right. Yeah, people don't pay attention <laughs> to judge race. They should, certainly. But Yeah, but, anyways. you know, so, so if I were to show up at an event – everybody in, in, at that event was like, oh my goodness, we have a, a judicial candidate here. So it, it, it's, uh, people are very pleased uh, and uh, um, interested when you show up because they have questions about what do you do. 
but but the the flip side of that is also true. You cannot be there, and nobody's going to miss you, mm. right? So so when I ran for the court of appeals the first time, I was actually coaching uh, high school football and baseball. Mm. Um, so so doing all that, and during the week, I was I was doing uh, my job and then uh, coaching. And on the weekends, I was killing myself going to events and making phone calls and that sort of thing. Supreme Court was different. I had to step away from coaching right. uh, because, you, you know, at, at that at that level, people expect you to be uh, present a little Were more. you on a ticket with some, some other people? Like uh, a lot of times in statewide campaigns for smaller offices, you'll see – um, like a DA, a judge, and a sheriff all on the same placards and stuff like that. Did you have a, an association or whatever, whatever you want to call that? So, so we we had um, a slate of candidates mm-hmm. um, that that the Republican Party right. uh, promoted us as a slate. And uh, again, that's effective because we rise and fall with the top of the ticket. Mm-hmm. So, so to the extent people identify us with uh, the Republican label. That was very effective, and, right. and the party yeah. did a really good job yeah. of that. Um, I want to get back to the sports thing. So you uh, you were coaching high school sports. Were your kids there at the time, or you were just there coaching? So I, I started coaching prior to my children getting into mm-hmm. high school and um, was able to coach during during most of their career. What made you decide to get into it? So I had always uh, wanted to be a coach. And mm-hmm. in fact, when I graduated from law school, I coached high school football. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just uh, I, I played football in high school, played baseball in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just you went all, to Wilmington? Um, Guilford College. Okay, so yeah. I went to a Division three school yeah. for a short, <clears throat> short time. But um, I, to me, there are a lot of lessons that, mm-hmm. that can be learned in athletic uh, um, pursuits. And, and, you know, I, it's imp- I think – it's important to have um, judges, members of the legal community, active with kids uh, because all they see or hear sometimes is how negative, um, uh, or, or, or that there are negative results from from the courthouse. But if they know a judge or they know an attorney, uh, you know they they may be may feel a little more confident about what comes out of that process. So, mm. um, you know, just just lucky that I got to work with some really good. Uh, coaches and uh, some really good kids yeah that's good i mean being part of the process is uh the very least you can do as a human being that's why i say that you know this somebody's got to do something attitude has got to stop it's it's nice um you know to be able to just say that it's nice to i don't know i mean it it's the country's not going to get better it's easy to it's it's easy to black pill. It's easy to say, you know what, this is the the entire system's corrupt, so I'm not gonna get involved in it. It's easy to do. That's the easy way out. The hard way is to do stuff that's actually gonna make the country better. And I think, you know, <clears throat> sure there's external bad bad actors funding judges and DAs across the country. There's no question about that. Um so the only logical solution to that from my perspective is for good people to do the same thing right like you you meet the enemy where they are and you crush them that's the fucking that's how you do that so talk me through this process like if there's somebody out there and they you know they have this keen sense of justice they understand the constitution well and and are well read and and good writers and stuff like that they have the i guess pre-existing conditions to be good at that particular sort of job 
walk me through the process. Like if I, if you were 18 again and your job and, and you wanted to become a judge, tell me how you do that. Well, I, I would have read more, um, coming through. I, I, I think I got a very good education, uh, coming through, but sort of the internal desire to, to read the Federalist Papers and, uh, some of those things just, I mean, it was there, but it wasn't. And, uh, sort of the discipline to, to have a reading program would have, would have benefited me, uh, much better. I, I think the other thing that, um, the, the ability to observe and listen, mm. um, I, I tend to shoot my mouth off um, but before before I, I should mm-hmm. uh, and and again that discipline to be able to to sit back and analyze and uh, sort of come to a, a better understanding uh, of facts and outcomes is, um, is is something that people can learn and um, I, I wish I would have uh, been a little more patient mm. uh, in some circumstances well I mean but, it's easy to say that now as an as an adult as a real adult you know what i mean who's been around for a while L- listening when you're 22 is not the easiest thing to do right because you know everything i don't need to listen to this guy i already fig- i already figured all this shit out i'm gonna be fine don't worry about me um I-, I like that energy it's good but you know a little bit more mentorship and i know you guys take on clerks people that are uh, in between undergrad and law school and then after they get out of law school sometimes they'll serve as well um have you what, what's that process like for a Supreme Court justice? Do you have the, the time and ability to mentor people? Or is it something that, you know, it's just like, here, do this paperwork, kid. You know, I mean, it's a busy job. Yeah, so, so this is one of the things that I'm, <clears throat> I'm really excited about. Again, my goal was always to be a teacher and a coach. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I've been able to, to do the coaching part of it. And now I'm doing the teaching part. We have an internship program uh, with, uh, that, that I created at the Court of Appeals and have carried over where we take between seven, nine, eleven um, uh, law students over the summer and we allow them to basically try out to be a clerk. We, we run them through the ringer. We teach them how to write cases, uh, write opinions, write, uh, uh, do the research. Uh, and, and ultimately what, what we've done is we have uh, uh, allowed that to be a tryout for uh, the people who become my clerks. Mm. So, so the individuals who I hire uh, to work for me at some point had to come through this program and not only have they, uh, um, gained the, the knowledge and experience to, to be able to work at the Supreme court. I mean, we've been able to, to help place these kids who are just phenomenal by the way, and just off the charts smart, mm-hmm. but we've been able to, to help improve their writing to such an extent, or, or at least help them improve their writing, uh, to, so that they can get really, really good jobs helping mm-hmm. people. And, and we try to push them, I, I, know, I know you're not a fan of the government, but I do think it's important that we have uh, conservative voices sure participating in the mm-hmm. government. And, and so we try to encourage them to, to uh, go into government service because they, they can have a huge impact. Yeah, I think writing is really important because writing is thinking. It's, it's thinking in a way that you can look at what you were thinking and be like, you know what, that's not right. What I, what I, my, my jump from here to here was incorrect or my logic here, if you track it down, these three paragraphs doesn't make sense anymore. I think it's really important. Like I encourage people to write, uh, it, even if it's just journaling or something, because you can go back later or even in the moment. So we do this when we're doing um, <clears throat> when we're doing uh, audio books. Ross or one of our buddies will write an audio book. We'll all help do the audio for it. We'll go through and read it out loud. 
like we read our words out loud. You know what? That doesn't sound good. In my head at the time when I wrote it, it sounded good. But now I've got to say it out loud in front of people in a courtroom, maybe, right? After or or I post. If you're in the Supreme Court, you're there's many many of your opinions on and, and just forever on the internet, right? It's not like Twitter where you can delete them. These are a matter of public record. So yeah. I think it's. But just from a young age, it's really good to be able to train people how to think that way and then examine their own work. Uh, I like to read backwards. I like to read like pair like sentences in the paragraph and then read the paragraphs backwards and be like, all right, what are the facts of these three paragraphs and they is there continuity between them and stuff like that. I think it's a really good exercise. So how do you <clears throat> is that one of the measures by which you select these interns? Like if they're good at writing already or if they have potential to be or how do you select them? Or is it another agency or something that selects the interns? No, so we we do our own selection mm. um and and we are not interested in grade point average mm. or what your class rank or anything like that. What we want is individuals who want to be clerks. And, and so, so we give everybody the opportunity and, and we tell our interns when they first come in, look at, at the end of the summer, you are going to be a better writer. And, and to, to follow up on your point about uh, reading things out loud, we have story time where we go through opinions mm. and we, the, the interns or the clerks will read, um, every line uh, of an opinion to make sure that it's, it's cohesive, it sounds right, it, it flows. Um, but but our, our process of selection is wide open because mm. anybody can do the job if you have the discipline and desire. Right. And, and so I, I'm just, frankly, I am, I'm a guy who uh, would have never thought he would be the, um, uh, the DA. I'm a mm. guy who would, should never have been a, uh, a judge or a justice on an appellate court uh, if you were to look just at, at grade point average mm. and, and class rank. Uh, but, but at some level, you know, those, those metrics do not measure uh, your willingness and, and your desire to be successful. Right. <clears throat> um, and it's, you know, ha having, the, having the underlying skill is a lot more important to me too than someone's uh, performance so far, right? Especially if you're a leader, it's like, I'm looking for these elements that I can shape into this outcome. You know what I mean? I'm not looking for, if you're if you're going out into the recruiting world looking for a pre-established outcome, you're gonna be very disappointed. You know what I mean? Uh, especially if you're building large teams or teams centered around one specific mission set because you're going to get very disparate ideas. You, you Not that we shouldn't have uh, you know, a variety of ideas, but there has to be a North Star for all these people. Like we all point back in the same direction at some point. So that kind of diversity is the most important, in my opinion, is diversity, like diversity of thought, but centered around a single ethos, whatever it happens to be, in our case, liberty and the Constitution, right? Um, and it's like this has been a driving factor for you. It sounds like since you were in high school, wanting to mentor people and coach people, right? And then it, you know, you get into the criminal justice system. And it occurs to you that uh, there's a lot of veterans in the criminal justice system. So now we're, we're catching up to present day almost um, where you hook up with these guys. But you were doing stuff for veterans before the Independence Fund. So tell me about that. Yeah, when, when I was DA, we, we would have um, one of the local uh, veterans groups. I, I don't remember if it was American Legion or, or, or who, but they would have... Um, events where they would help homeless vets in, in the small community I was from. 
and we would go out uh, with our uh, laptops and do expungement clinics. So, so those veterans who were looking uh, for jobs and were told, we just can't hire you because you've got a criminal conviction, we would do the research for them to see if they were eligible for expungements. And, um, um, you know, I think, I, I think we help people um, in, in that situation. But it, it's just it's an important community, uh, especially in North Carolina, uh, that, that we, uh, we be able to help. And, and uh, again, I think we've, we've done a little bit of that. Yeah, and then the, the Veteran Justice Initiative, um, there was already something called the No Veteran Left Behind Act, I think, before this started. But um, the Veteran Justice Initiative, tell me about what that is um like how it functions exactly because there's like dual parts right one of them is the check the boxing and the other one is teaching police how to deal with people so can you run me through that yeah so so vji is run through the independence fund and is headed up by clark pennington and and clark is just uh he's a hard charger on these issues and and he's done just a, a wonderful job of like you said training uh police officers over three thousand police officers officers in North Carolina have been trained on veteran interactions, right? Crisis intervention with veterans. And um, that, that's just a, a, a huge program mm. uh, and, and a tremendous benefit to those communities. And, and they're, they're, they're still going at it. Uh, and they have uh, a partnership with uh, some other individuals where they do jujitsu uh, with the officers. They teach them uh, safety uh, protocols and, and self-defense. But then uh, they teach them how to interact with with veterans, uh, and and then the other part mm. of of VJI is, is sort of the the courtroom facing uh, portion, uh, the the back end or negative end of that uh, law enforcement interaction, where they help with deferral programs, help set up uh, veteran treatment courts, and and these sorts of uh, services that can improve outcomes for veterans. And it's uh it's kind of like uh. And almost an institutional pretrial intervention. I think a lot of people are familiar with PTI, especially people who have brushed up against law enforcement over the years, like myself, for example. Um, I've never been in PTI, but I know what it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's you know what kind of what we were talking about earlier. The point of all this isn't to just arrest people and put them in prison or or whatever. It's to use whatever leverage you have at your disposal to make make more better people i think is is probably the best way to put it you know what i mean um like knock the knock the rough edges off of people so they can function in society a little bit without the baggage of having been in the criminal justice system it's super important for veterans even more so to some degree right Right. And that's why the work the Independence Fund does with law enforcement is so important. Right. If you if you can handle these situations, if you can address problems on the front end before they even get to the criminal justice system, uh, again, you're going to improve outcomes and and you have more control uh, over what takes place. So if I'm a veteran in North Carolina and I get arrested for something, what do I do? Well, so I I think the first thing would be if you can call an attorney, talk to an attorney. but, but, you know, to the extent you have difficulty navigating mm. uh, the criminal justice system, you go in. One of the first things you do if, if you're taken before a judge, the judge is going to ask you, uh, do you want a court-appointed attorney? Mm. Right? So everybody goes back and they, most people fill out the affidavit of indigency. And we've been able to um, implement the che- what's called the Check the Box Initiative in North Carolina. On that affidavit of indigency where you're requesting a court-appointed uh, attorney, 
you can designate your uh, military status if, if you've served in the military. And that is a trigger to the judge, to the prosecutor, to the clerk, to all number uh, of court actors, that this is somebody who may need special assistance. Mm. And, uh, you know, so, so we are still working on the communication piece. We're able to identify and quantify the number of veterans who come through the system now. Uh, what we're working on now is being able to transmit that information electronically to the, uh, the independence fund. But we have counties that have already stepped up uh, who are uh, making the effort to, when they, when they see that the box has been checked, they want to get that veteran help, so they will contact the independence fund. Mm. And then um, you'll have to tune in to Drinking Bros to find out what the independence fund does because Clark's going to be on that show and he can run you through that stuff. But yeah, this is a really good program. I mean, it's, uh, as I said before, there've been other things somewhat like this before, but primarily they were just on the, um, there've been attempts at veterans courts. I think Washington tried one. I don't know if it's still in effect. Um, Virginia tried one. I don't think it's still in effect, but they did do the, the critical, uh, training stuff. Um, it's this is kind of in in so far as it attacks both sides like the prevention of something and then also addressing it after the fact it, it, i think it's the only one of its kind in the country right now so it's no pressure or anything but it's kind of you know a test pilot to see if we're going to be able to do this and at a at scale over time i guess most of the pressure is on the independence fund to do that but they seem to do pretty well oh under yeah pressure so and, i'm not too worried about that and dan if, if i could th mm -hmm. this is easy at least check the box is easy mm -hmm. right if, if you are um anywhere in charge of or have responsibility for these affidavits of indigency you can amend that form so if if uh, people across the country are interested in helping veterans in a very easy at least just being able to identify them mm -hmm. um, this this check the box is very easy to implement but i, I, I want to also say that north carolina has eight veteran treatment courts uh, mm -hmm. in existence now in eight counties out of a hundred so we've got got some work to do there, there's plans to um, uh, bring four more online here very shortly uh, but veteran treatment courts are uh, designed to assist veterans who have uh, addiction or mental mm -hmm. health issues. Uh, but, but the good thing about these, it's very rigorous programs, 12 to 18 month rigorous program. Mm -hmm. And, and as, as a DA, I've been, like I mentioned earlier, I've been pitched, uh, all of the feel good programs you, you can mm -hmm. imagine. I had, um, uh, I was at a conference one time and a lady was talking about a drug treatment court that she was involved in and how the, the carrot for for the defendants in in this particular court mm. uh, was that if you had two negative drug drug screens right if you if you didn't piss hot twice mm -hmm. that uh, uh, the judge would do a cartwheel for you right so so we're we're not circus monkeys right and that should not be a motivating factor for anybody right you ought to want to get your life cleaned up because yeah. you want to get your life cleaned up yeah. uh, but with with veteran treatment courts. Not only do you have uh, uh, these specialty courts dedicated to veterans, but you, it's supported by veterans. Mm -hmm. So you get the kick yeah. in the pants that you need yeah. uh, from somebody who's been through it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big part of it is accountability. I mean, every, every recovery program that exists is set up that way. AA, you know, everything. But, um, you know, that, that uh, coddling stuff, it, does, it doesn't work. I mean, they've tried it in California, Washington, Oregon, 
Utah, Salt Lake City did it, uh, house, housing first projects for uh, homelessness, right, for drug addicts mostly. Um, and housing first without being tied. I, Michael Schellenberger does great work on this. Uh, housing first without some kind of, there's got to be a, a stick as well. There has to be some kind of punishment involved if you don't do the thing that you're supposed to do. That's just how life works. You know what I mean? Like, I know that I'm not supposed to put my hand in the fire. I know that. And if I put my hand in the fire, I'm going to get burned. Uh, but if my pain receptors started failing, I can put my hand in there and not feel anything, but I'm still getting burned. You know what I mean? So it has to be very obvious what the penalty is for something, I think. Um, but there also has to be that graceful period where you can realize your mistake and change course. Otherwise, eventually, I guess we'll all just be in jail, right? I mean, it's just it's it's a really stupid way to think about things, I think. But I'm glad that you're out there doing the stuff that you're doing. Um, <clears throat> I appreciate you initially reaching out. And pretty much any time anybody reaches out to me, I just give them Sarah's number, no matter what it is. Like some dude uh, came to my house and wanted to cut the trees down in my front yard. I'm like, just call Sarah. Cut her trees down. No, that's that's stupid. Um, yeah, she's amazing. She is, yeah. She's uh, that whole the the Independence Fund is um, how I spend most of my free time, which is also how most of their employees spend most of their free time. So they don't have any. <laughs> um, but it's good. Yeah, it's a great program. If you're thinking about donating to something out there, definitely give money to them because they use it to help other people. Um, we got to get out of here. We got to get ready for this other show. But I appreciate you coming today. This has been illuminating the process. Um, how everything works and your life obviously is great. And I'm glad we were able to link up. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. And thank you for what you do. Sure. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for that. And thank you all for listening. This has been Sid. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.